All right. Good morning. The Lord is in the house this morning. It's a great thing. Um, Before I get to the Word of God, I want to bring you a little bit of update of some things happening here at the church, and that's about Hope Christian Church. Some of you have asked. I know a couple of months ago I mentioned, hey, they were looking for a place they needed help, and I want to let you all know they're here, and they've been here uh, for little over a month, and they meet. Uh, Hope Christian Church is an uh, Arabic language church that we have been friends with for a number of years. Uh, they used our facility in the past, and they were in dire need, really, really dire need. So they are currently meeting in our chapel on Sundays at uh, noon is their service time. If you happen to go by the chapel and see that activity, you can wish them well. You can actually stop in for a service. And even though you don't understand the language, let me tell you what, you will, you will feel the presence of Almighty God. The Holy Spirit's there uh, in their services as much as he is in ours. And it's a beautiful congregation. We love Pastor Avdal. He's doing a great job. And I want to let you know, too, that uh, they do a conference every single year. We have helped them host that conference for uh, a couple of years in the past, in 2016 and 2017, I believe. Uh, they are going to host, or we're going to host that conference here this weekend, this coming weekend. It's called the Live Free Conference. And uh, Pastor Avdal does an amazing job in bringing in speakers from uh, around the world. And what he wants to do is just minister to people and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you would be interested in helping. And I know some of you have helped in the past. They need help with ushers and uh, security. And you can call Todd Carley uh, or uh, just call the office. His extension is 104 or just call and ask for him and he'll line you up. It's a good opportunity to what I say, have a short-term mission trip right in your church. It's really beautiful. So as we move forward, Today, we're talking about faith. We've been talking about faith, keeping the faith, living our faith. And last Sunday, we considered a passage from the New Testament, the Apostle Paul's letter to his friend Timothy. Paul's encouragement to Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. We talked about fighting that good fight and what it means, what that good fight is, because it's not a a vile uh, fight that seeks to eliminate people, but no get them acquainted with Jesus Christ, and share the gospel. We talked about what that good fight is and how uh, we as Christians continue to do that as we confront challenges in the culture. And I mentioned some of the things that we are confronted with in our culture, and that is moving ahead at breakneck speed, the changes in the culture. So we need to uh, be equipped to fight the good fight, the good fight, of our faith, and this morning, it's my aim to uh, continue to exhort you, to continue to encourage you, exhort you by the words of Jesus this morning, and exhort everyone here in this house, everyone connected to us online, and help with this ongoing good fight. Uh, The words of Jesus that we're gonna consider this morning, they come from Matthew chapter 24. So if you wanna get your thumb in Matthew chapter 24, I'll be reading to the first 14 verses this morning. These are the words of Jesus. He's a true prophet. His words are accurate and they're true. And I want to give you a little bit of a sense of the scene 
here in Matthew chapter 24 that we get some context. Because if you have some context, you will be able to better apply the word of God. You can't just cherry pick a scripture and say, yep, this is what it means. Let's get a little bit of understanding of what was going on, who was involved, what the scene was as Jesus spoke these words. Well, the scene is that it's about two days before Jesus would be arrested, falsely accused, put before the kangaroo court, tried, convicted, and sentenced to death. So these are some of the final words of Jesus. Of course, he knows that. He was walking out of the temple. So the temple grounds uh, were pretty expansive. Jesus was walking out, and uh, some of his friends made some comments. Let's read the first two verses now that we know a little bit about what's happening. Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Those are some pretty stunning words from Jesus. Very significant. And I imagine his followers were just dumbfounded because the temple and its surrounding buildings, they were impressive. They were immense. And let me just share with you a little bit about just how stunning the temple in Jerusalem was. When Jesus was born, the, the king of Judea, his name was King Herod the Great, they called him, uh, or that's how he's been come to known. And he ruled over this region of Judea under the Roman Empire. Now, Herod conducted a multi-decade refurbishing of the temple in Jerusalem. Multi-decade. It was a huge project. He enlarged the area around it uh, with courtyards and colonnades. The, historians have written about it, and I'll just share with you from one. It's a modern historian, Paul Johnson, from his book, The History of the Jews. Here's what he says of Herod's renovation. Herod doubled the area of the Temple Mount by building huge supporting walls, which, by the way, some are still standing, just the, the remnants of those walls. The prodigious platform, 35 acres in area and a mile in circumference, was more than twice the height as seen today from the bottom of the valley. The stone was exceptionally white, and the glitter of the stone and the gleam of the gold, which reflected many miles away in the bright sun, was what made the temple so striking to travelers, seeing it from afar for the first time. So suffice it to say that the temple and its surrounding structures were amazing, quite, uh, quite magnificent. A 35-acre stone platform that had been raised up, colonnades that surrounded uh, the area, these open uh, courtyards, and then the temple itself rising up from the center, and the, the pillars, the doors, the parapets were gilded with gold, all of this gleaming in the sun, and Jesus said, do you see all these things? you see these buildings? Truly, I say to you, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Pretty stunning prophecy. Really? Could it be? Of course, Jesus' followers were wondering. And some of them came to him. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. These were brothers, Peter and Andrew. And James and John were brothers. So it was two pairs of brothers out of the 12 that Jesus called the apostles or the 12 that he specifically called by name, these four were like the inner circle. And 
Jesus begins to talk to them. Let's read a little bit more. Verses 2 and 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? How do we know this word disciples meant Peter, Andrew, James, and John? I just told you that's who it was. Well, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, gives us that detail. I'll just share it with you really quick. Mark 13, 3 and 4 says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately. So these were the four that came to him. And verse 4 in Mark 13 says, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? So we get details from a different gospel. Four of Jesus' friends came to him. He's having a private conversation. It's just five guys talking. They're in this, this circle, if you will, and they asked a question. Jesus answered. And let's read some of his answer now. So this is verses 4 to 14. And remember, private conversation. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to, to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So this is some really stunning prophecy from Jesus. In the context here, it applies to believers. Remember, Jesus, he's speaking to his inner circle. It, it's, it's a small group. This is not the Sermon on the Mount. This is not a huge crowd of people that Jesus is speaking to in general terms. No, it was up close and personal. And it's words that are spoken directly to them. Words that apply to them. Now, just for a moment, picture yourself there with Jesus. You've hiked up with him on the Mount of Olives. You found this quiet and private place. You ask him a question. It's just you and a few others sitting down there with Jesus. Now picture him looking in your eyes and saying, the end will come. What end? What's he talking about? Well, you just asked him a question about the, the temple. And, and he said, all of it's going to fall down? Well, he's, he's talking about that. He's answering their questions. When is this going to happen? When is no stone going to be left upon another? And Jesus answered them. And he told them, hey, there's going to be much turmoil and wars. Then the end. The end of the temple. The end of Jerusalem is going to happen with it. And it's going to be the end of Judaism as they knew it. The, the temple was central to the Jewish way of worship. The whole Jew, Jewish religion was going to change. 
And it was going to be the end of the old covenant. It really was going to mark it done. And you, think of it, Jesus looking right at you and he says, you will be persecuted. And he's saying this. Peter and Andrew and James and John, you will be persecuted, even put to death. False prophets are going to rise up, and many are going to turn away from the faith. The love of most will grow cold. These are sobering words of Jesus, words that apply directly and personally to those four to whom he was speaking. A few days later, Jesus would be arrested, and then he was going to be crucified. Then he'll resurrect and he's going to be taken up into heaven. Then the church was born. That would be 55 days or so after this day he's talking to them. And the church grew and it flourished. And the gospel was preached to all the known world. And then persecution followed. It did. We can read about it in the New Testament. Then martyrdom. James was the first. About 15 years after Jesus talking to him, him there on the Mount of Olives, James, he was beheaded by Herod Agrippa. Andrew, Andrew made it about 30 years. He was crucified in Greece by the Roman governor Aegis. Peter made it about 35 years, crucified upside down by Nero. John made it about just as much, and then he was exiled to Patmos. So persecution came, death came. And then the Romans began their military campaign against Jerusalem. That was about the year 67. For about three and a half years, they came against the city of Jerusalem, seized the city, kept at it until they succeeded in completely destroying the temple and, of course, raising the city as well. Judaism forever changed because the temple was destroyed. And it's still gone. About a million people died. About 100,000 taken as slaves to Rome. So history attests to the fact that Jesus was a true prophet. What he said happened. The hard times did come. Really, is, uh, just as he said, very hard times. His words were accurate. So we can look at history and say it happened without question. What Jesus said to his closest companions. But he, he also had some somewhat general statements there what would happen to believers in general when the stress time came what did jesus say would characterize believers and again this is the context it's not those out in the world it's believers when the really difficult times come well jesus said false prophets are going to rise many will turn away from the faith even betray each other and then Jesus said this stunning line, because of the wickedness and its increase, the love of most will grow cold. That happened too. The New Testament gives evidence of believers turning away from the faith, turning away and even turning on each other. Their love growing cold. One example, just one, because if you read through the New Testament, you will read of troubles and schisms and, and, and the apostles writing correction. That's not the way we as Christians treat each other. The letters of John, one example. John was overseeing the church in Ephesus. 
There was a schism in that church. Some left. Some denied the deity of Jesus. Some denied they were even sinners. This is how much they turned from the faith. They turned on each other. John's writing, well, they, they departed from us. They were never even part of us. This is how bad the schism was. And John made correction, and he made this appeal to love, to love. You, the, his letters are called the love letters, but it doesn't mean there wasn't issues and troubles and trials. The words of Jesus are reliably true when they came to pass, and we can learn from them. We can learn from them. We understand the original meaning we, we understand the context of what occurred when Jesus was talking, but we can learn from his words because history tends to repeat. Nations, regions, people, yeah, they're gonna have seasons of peace and comfort, yes, but there will be seasons of trial and distress. And when those seasons of trial and distress settle upon a people, we can apply what Jesus said about tribulation, the tribulation which was leading to the fall of Jerusalem, we can apply that in our own lives, in our country, in our time, when we're in an unsettling season. Now, we don't have an emperor ordering crucifixions. I love that, that's a good thing. We don't have an emperor having people beheaded. Things could be worse. But the past three years, they've shaped uh, they, they've been shaped, I should say, by social upheaval, uh, pandemic issues and policies, the, the, the raucous, wild election cycle. It's, it's been troubling. It's been stressful for many. It, it's affected the church. And, and of course, the culture is just running in the wrong direction. There has been a rise in false prophets now, I've talked about that in the past, and it's not my focus today. I, just would, I would just repeat what I've said to you earlier about prophecy. If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not come to pass, that message, the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, and that's from Deuteronomy 18.22. I've talked about it before. It's, again, not my focus. I want to focus a little more on verse 10. In 12 and 13, the words of Jesus when he said, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. That's why we've been talking about the good fight and living our faith. At that time, many will turn from the faith and betray and hate each other. Again, talking about believers. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. At that time, Jesus said, now what time, what time? Well, Jesus was talking about the time of trouble that was gonna lead to, to the great distress of the, the wiping out and the destruction of the temple and the city of Jerusalem. Jesus mentioned it's gonna cause a turning from the faith. Believers actually turning on each other, hate. Hate increasing, love growing cold. How can we apply that to today? The past few years have had their fair share of distresses and trials. Not as bad as Jerusalem, that's for sure. And that's why I give you some of the context. Just to, just to think and, and maybe take a minute to consider 
when, if you're talking about how bad we have it, consider how bad it was for the first followers of Christ. But we can apply what Jesus said. And in the, the past few years, and if we take the pandemic, for example, the pandemic policies, uh, the, the shutdowns, the masks, the, the vaccinations, it, it turned some Christians against each other. And, and that's unfortunate. I talked to one pastor who had said, oh yeah, I set up the mask section in my church and the no mask section. Biggest mistake I ever made. Why is that? Because at the end of every service, they're all fighting with each other and bickering with each other about, well, you should be in this section and all of that. Some families were fractured. They, they, they were broken because, well, you're not coming into my house with that or without it or whatever. Some people left the faith altogether. And I, I found one example of someone leaving their faith because God allowed this plague. And, and here's what this article said about this person who left his faith because of COVID. I grew up in the church every Sunday morning I spent in the church. I never imagined that there would be a period in my life when activity in the church would stop. And out of nowhere, the pandemic hit. Sunday services were canceled. My home became my center of study, work and worship. As the months passed, faithful members of the church lifted their hearts to God in prayer, fasting, and continued to give their tithes and offerings. But the virus wasn't stopped. Millions of people fell ill and millions died. Despite the effort, sacrifice, and prayer of his saints, God did not stop COVID. It was then that a switch was turned on and my deconstruction process started. I was deconstructing my faith. Now this word deconstruction, it, it seems to be a kind of a, a buzzword uh, in certain Christian circles about people deconstruction, deconstructing their Christianity. There's a rise in this thing called deconstruction of Christianity. It's based on a, a 20th century French philosopher, his name was Jacques Derrida, and he pioneered this philosophy called deconstruction. It's somewhat convoluted, and Derrida probably wouldn't agree with how I'm gonna simplify it, but I simplify it saying this. Deconstruction says that any idea, notion, system, philosophy is a man-made construct, and it's not absolute truth. So deconstruction dismantles the construct to expose that internally it's confused, it's riddled with logical defects, and only pieces of it are true. Now, some have taken Derrida's method and applied it to Christianity. They've dismantled the faith to expose, as in their own eyes, to expose what needs correction. What needs to be reconstructed? Well, there's a piece of truth here, and there's a piece of truth there. So now I'm going to reconstruct Christianity. And when, do, when one does that, what do they end up with? Well, it's, it's not Jesus. It's a different Jesus. It's not the gospel. It's a different gospel. It's not truth. It's their truth. And that's what the writer of the article did. And I'll continue. He writes, assessing our belief system is difficult and painful, but it's also cathartic and liberating, even healing. Evaluating our belief system is about being released from the chains of bondage. It is to remember that we are the masters of our destiny and that we are worthy, not because Sky Daddy considers us worthy. 
a hard time comes, and then a misconception about who God is, a misconception about his sovereignty and his authority, a misconception about the God who, who has created and declared he can do whatever he wills to do. He's unjust. He's bad because he didn't respond my way. He didn't stop COVID. And what happened? That led to this author redefining his faith, reconstructing it, deconstructing it, reconstructing it according to his terms. So a new truth emerged, his truth. What's his new truth? I am the master of my destiny. Yeah, and where's God in that picture? The true God has nothing to do with I am the master of my destiny. This, this idea of deconstruction and reconstruction, it's nothing new. It's really nothing new. It might be a new term. Could be a new, it's a new buzzword, deconstruction. But turning away from the faith, ah, because you're stressed, because there's a trial in your life, and then redefining it in your own terms, in human terms, that's nothing new. It is nothing new. The New Testament writers battled with this very thing. In the opening uh, lines of his letter to the, church, the churches in Galatia, Paul wrote this. Paul the Apostle wrote this. I am astonished. Galatians 1, 6, and 7. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The Galatians were turning to no gospel at all. Again, Jesus spoke truth, historically accurate truth. He said, when trial comes, when tribulation comes, many are going to turn away. And it happened. It happened in Churches like the churches in Galatia. Paul closed the letter telling us this was the case. Paul, in, in chapter 6, as he's closing this letter to the Galatians, he said the only reason those who change the gospel do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Hear it. This is why they were making the new gospel, to avoid being persecuted. It's a hard time. Trial comes. Let's make up something new. Let's deny the faith. And Jesus was right. Hard trying times come. And some turn away from the faith to avoid the trial. So beware of it. Beware of it. History repeats. Beware of it. Watch for it. When difficulty comes, the answer is not to abandon the true faith. That's a lie. The answer is not to step off the rock, which is Jesus Christ. The answer is, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, standing firm, standing firm in the face of trial, standing firm when, when life isn't the way that you define that it should be. Jesus went on to say, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. I'm gonna get back to standing firm. But he, he went on to say, the increase of wickedness the love of most will grow cold. And that came to pass in the first century. But as I said, history, history rolls on. Same kinds of things continue to happen. 
we can see an increase in wickedness in our own society. Now, I went over some of those details last Sunday. Violent crime's up. Police forces are having a tough time filling all their vacancies. Culture has become self-indulgent. Culture's become depraved and perverse. And the perversity of the culture's been embraced. It's been embraced by the government. It's been embraced by major corporations in their advertisements and a lot of what they do. Immorality is presented as absolutely wholesome. Entertainment companies, specifically entertainment companies that want to entertain our children, they put perversity and depravity out there as absolutely normal, totally wholesome. See, Jesus made this stunning statement. When the wickedness increases, the love of most will grow cold. Again, that's for believers, Christians. And Jesus was talking to his friends about what was to come. And he's mentioning you know, other believers, a broader, uh, a broader group. The love of most is going to grow cold. So I ask, is the love of Christians, even many Christians, growing cold as wickedness increases in our time? And I dare say the answer is yes, it is. How? How is love growing cold as this wickedness increases? Well, Jesus, when he was speaking to his friends, he's recorded as using a Greek word for love. And that Greek word is agape. We say agape. Agape. I'll just, that's, that's our Anglicanized way, transliterated, agape. Agape is divine love. Its intent is for the highest good of another. It is selfless, sacrificial. It's, it's the source of God. Agape love is, is it's, its source is God, who is love. And Greek employed several words for what we call love. And agape is the greatest. There were other words like phileo, which it meant brotherly love, deep friendship. Jesus once asked Peter, do you love me? Do you agape? Peter, do you agape me? Is this divine love in you for me? And Peter replied, Lord, you know I love you. But he used phileo. He used this this word that meant a little differently, like, yeah, I'm your buddy, I'm your friend, I'm with you. But Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you agape? And see, when Jesus was sitting there on the Mount of Olives with his four friends, he said, wickedness increases and agape grows cold. Divine love, selfless love, sacrificial love will grow cold. And I say it's grown cold in some churches. And it's grown cold as wickedness increases and is welcomed in. Wickedness has been welcomed because agape has been redefined. It's been deconstructed and it's been reconstructed. Divine love, the love of God has been redefined to mean something that it doesn't mean. And it's been redefined in many circles as Condoning wickedness as accepting sin. Love now means calling sin righteousness. And you know what? That's not love at all. 
You know, if I stand up here and I preach to a sinner that God loves you just the way you are, and there's no need for you to repent or turn, your sin is not sin at all. God accepts you just the way you are. That shames the cross of Christ. That mocks the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, the death he paid for my sin and yours. We stood in this sanctuary today singing, now my sin is dead and gone, gone, gone. Why? Because Jesus gave his life for that. And that's no insignificant thing. I can't stand up here and preach, oh, God loves you in your sin. No, I gotta preach, repent, because that's what Jesus preached. Approving and condoning one's sin and calling it love, that's, that's loving a person straight into hell. That's not love at all, that's hate. This is the idea of love growing cold. Oh, well, it's, you know, let's just, let's just say it's all right because that's the loving thing to do. And some Christians and some churches have adopted this deconstructed, redefined notion of God's love, of agape. And it's not agape. The agape love of, of God, the agape love of Jesus, yes, it receives a sinner. Of course it does. Agape love welcomes a sinner with open arms. And then like Jesus, who, who he said to the woman caught in the very act of adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't let that drop. He didn't say, I love you just the way you are. Go and sin no more. Or like Jesus, when he said to the ones who thought they were better than the Galileans who were executed by Pilate, and their blood was mixed with Pilate's sacrifice. You know what Jesus said to those Galileans? You're sinners too. Repent or perish. And then he repeated it. It's like when Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. And you know what he said to that man? Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Yeah, what's the something worse? You can miss eternal life. You can miss eternal life and be bound for hell. So, hey, stop sinning. The love of Jesus, the love of Jesus is love that receives a sinner, but it does not tolerate or accept or condone the sin. The love of Jesus does not say, I love you the way you are in your rebellious, sinful state. No, the love of Jesus says, sin no more. The love of Jesus says, repent or perish. Those are the words of agape. These are the words of divine love. And they're the words of Jesus. Jesus said, when wickedness increases, the love of most will grow cold. Indeed, cold love welcomes sin because it's no love at all. Cold love calls evil good. Jesus said, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So how do you stand firm? I want to close with that. How do you stand firm? You keep loving as Jesus did. This is how you stand firm in your faith. You love selflessly and, and sacrificially. And, and that means you might be ridiculed and you might be rejected by the culture because they're going to tell you, oh, yeah, that's not love at all. No, no, love says, love says, oh, that's okay. 
It doesn't matter that you're going to be ridiculed because agape love doesn't conform with the deconstructed and the degenerate definition of the culture's love. Some want to say love wins when it all accepts the sinner continuing in their sin. No, love wins when it sees a soul lost for eternity and, and bound for hell and speaks the truth gently but firmly. That's love. It's the love that says repent or perish. Stand firm in that agape love. Stand firm in love that never, ever compromises the truth. Stand firm in love that will never deconstruct the word of God to recreate something of your own definition. Stand firm in love that won't water down the word of God. Stand firm in love that refuses to call evil good. Stand firm in love that isn't going to conform to the culture and its definition. When wickedness increases, and it is increasing, do not let agape grow cold. Do not allow the enemy, who is subtle, subtle and crafty, and he's the father of lies, do not let the enemy deceive you into thinking that love must accept what is wrong and love must accept what you know, and you know deep down it's wrong and it's sin. Do not let the devil deceive you into that. No, it's not the truth. Stand firm in the words that Jesus said, because he said them lovingly to that woman. Go and sin no more. Love like that. Love, love that, that sees a soul in sin, and it's destined for destruction. And it says to that soul, there's a better way for you. There is a better way. And it can get you and gain you eternal life. Sin no more. You have to stand firm in that agape love that does all it can, does everything it can to shine the light of Jesus Christ in the darkness of a lost soul and lead that soul to salvation, to lead it out of darkness and into his marvelous light and not love it into hell. It's no love at all. It's no love at all. Will you stand firm? in that agape love. Will you, will you today, will you, will you make it your mission to not compromise and not accept, but be gentle, be like Jesus. Speak the truth in love. It, it, let's stand and pray and I, I wanna say too, if, if there's any of you here and you, you hear this and you might think, oh, that, that is intolerant. And no, I, I need to love a person who's, who's this or that or their, I know their life, they've been. Get that out of your mind. Just look in your own heart. Look in your own heart. Ask yourself, have you ever really yielded your life to Jesus Christ? Because we are all, we are all people who've fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is a rebellion against God. Sin had a penalty. It was the death penalty. Jesus paid the price for that. It's no insignificant thing. And if we receive it and we say, I know, I know I've fallen short. I've n I know I've, I'm not perfect. I'm a, I have sinned. It may be to this level, it may be to that level. But nonetheless, it's against God Almighty. 
this is how much Jesus loved, that he gave his life, that he gave his life that you could have eternal life. And what he says is receive that, come on, and make it, make it your confession that you would turn from those ways, which he calls wicked ways. If, if that's you, if you've never done that, I just, I implore you, today is the day for you to receive eternal life. And I know that the greater number of you here today, you're Christians. You call yourselves followers of Jesus Christ. If you've been tempted, if you've been tempted to reapply this love definition of the culture, to say, oh, that's okay. No, that, that's good. We can, uh, we can condone that. That's all right. I want to pray with you, and I'm not going to tell you to come forward or, or, or reveal, but you know in your heart, has the agape love, the divine love, the highest form of love grown a little cold? Has it taken a turn? Let's pray. Let's just go before our Lord and our Savior. He's gracious. He'll help us. And let's ask for the strength to stand firm because the culture's coming at us, breakneck speed. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, we bow our hearts humbly before you, God, and we ask for the strength to stand firm, to be people who will never, ever compromise our love for others. Lord, that we would see them as lost souls. Lord, souls that need Jesus Christ, and they need to be one out of darkness into light. And we would love and we would respond gently and firmly just like Jesus did, but we would never be afraid to speak the truth in love and that we would never compromise or ever water down God regardless of what trial comes. And they're coming. They're coming. And the enemy wants to press in and push us to change. And God, may we be people that would not. Paul the apostle said it's no gospel. It's no gospel at all. Lord, may we not be people that would have that written about us that we've conformed to no gospel at all. Lord, that we would be people that would stay true to what is the truth. Jesus Christ, him crucified, salvation of the world through his blood. Thank you for it, God. Please, please strengthen us with it. Go before your people and do it, Lord. And if there's any here, any online who's never, ever yielded their life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Savior from sin, destruction, hell, God, I pray right now for those hearts, God, that they would be sincerely turning, sincerely saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm trying my own way. I am, the, I am the master of my own destiny, and I put my life into the hands of Jesus Christ who died for my sin, and I want to turn from that sin. God, work on those hearts, Lord. Assure them of your presence and turn them to you forever. Thank you, God. Thank you. Into your hands, we commit all these prayers with thanksgiving for our Lord and Savior. And go before us, go before us today, this week, and keep us strong, standing firm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you need prayer, these altars are always open. Elders are here to anoint with oil, pray over you. You don't need to rush out. God bless you.